This podcast of the Tailgate Society is sponsored by Revelton Distilling Company. When Rob and Christy Taylor started following the Kentucky Bourbon Trail in 2012, they fell in love with not only bourbon, but the entire distilling process. So they opened Revelton Distillery, where they offer a family of products including vodka, gin, whiskey, and Revelton Shine. Come visit the Tasting Room at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, or pick some up at your local Hy-Vee or Fairway grocery store. This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest screen, buddy murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in to that original sin. So let's get rowdy and reckless. Let's get rowdy and reckless. Let's get rowdy and reckless. Just for that. Hello and welcome to yet again another edition of Old Man Strength, a podcast of the Tailgate Society brought to you by Revelton Distillery. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing this evening? I'm hunkered down in my bunker of a basement during this slash winter slash derocho slash windstorm they got going on tonight. Yeah, you know... Four days ago, I was clearing 12 inches of snow off of my driveway, and now I'm having to worry about tornadoes. So I don't really know how I feel about weather right now. I'm seeing lightning. Uh, oh, my lights just flickered. Yep, they, they're flickering a little bit. So we'll see how long uh, I last on this one. How long Tim stays on <laughs> There's a good chance you might be uh, handling the majority of this one because uh, the power is starting to flicker a little bit. But we'll uh, we'll see how this goes. You got a cell phone. You'll live. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I wasn't smart enough to charge it. I was working all day long and I forgot to have it plugged in. So we'll see how that goes. Um, well, good. I, you know, I don't want to take up too much time with small talk. I will go ahead and let you introduce our guest this evening. All right. Well, we are uh, extremely honored to have on uh, somebody I admire a lot. Uh, he is, uh, Let's see. Let's let's list his accolades here. He's uh, a graduate of Iowa State from 2017 in the Greenlee School of Journalism. He is uh, one of the co-hosts of the uh, Sports Fanatics on KXNO, uh, publisher and creator of Cyclone Fanatic. Does a little uh, Networks Women's Basketball coverage. Uh, Chris Williams, thanks for coming on Old Man Strength. Good to be here, fellas. Thank you very much um, for inviting me on. You're too kind. Well, that's that's a first. We've never been called that. <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know. I've only, had, I've only had one sip of this bourbon, so just give me an hour and we'll see how nice. <laughs> hey, Dan McCarney called us professionals, so that's let's not let's not forget about that. We hang our hat on that every time. We can. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard my Dan McCarney insulting me in front of my face in front of the entire team story? I have can not I, heard this story. Can I cuss on this? Oh, yes. Okay. So it was 2006. So it would have been max last year. And I was 
still in college, but I was in the media. I was actually working, you know, full time. And I did the uh, media comm show because back then this is before like social media and stuff. Nobody could like stream anything. So uh, the me- we I did this media comm show with John Miller and I had picked Iowa State, I think, to go four and eight that year. It was after the 2005, right? Right. Wait a minute. Yeah. It was McCartney's last year. And back then we could go to practice and Mac had seen my prediction apparently. And he saw me and he's, he's addressing the team and I'm, I'm like standing off in the um, back with all the media and he's talking to the team and he's yelling at him. He's like, hey, come on. He's like, I'm watching the, the TV the other night and that, that bastard picked us to go four and eight. And he right at me. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. So oh. yeah, we, we've made nice though. We're, we're good buddies now. He was just very intense individual. So there you go. He calls you professionals. He called me a fat bastard. Yeah. I feel like that should probably be the opposite. <laughs> so, I, I deserved it. I'm sure. Oh, well, let's start with, um, Let's start with uh, where you kind of came from. I know uh, you grew up in Clorinda. Uh, you talk about it a lot uh, on, on the radio station. You probably have a lot of the small town values. Uh, I know you talk about your Uncle yeah. Dick a lot and what a big influence he was. What, what about those small town values and things like that have helped you along the way in your career? Uh, it's It's been everything for me. Uh, it's not a <clears> – it's a badge of honor. I – You know, there's just so many um, people back there who I just admire and respect and like how hard they work. My dad was always one of those. My uncle Dick was one of those. My uncle worked in a factory his whole life after being in Vietnam. My dad, you know, just got a job at Hy-Vee when he was in high school and worked his way up to management and worked his ass off and retired and bought himself a lake house. It's like didn't grow up with, I, we weren't poor, but we didn't have a lot of money. And it just was the deal where, um, that, I don't know, I, I live up here now and I'm, I'm very proud of Des Moines and central Iowa, but that that'll always be my home back in Southwest Iowa. Just all my family lives there. Um, every single one of them, um, on my dad's side. And yeah, it's just, you know, like when I, when I was in college, the first couple of years I went back there and, I worked for the city and literally like in the morning, the first thing I would do is go around to all the city parks and <laughs> you'd hose out the uh, outhouses and stuff like that. Right. Like we've, <laughs> we've all had, we've all had jobs like that, but um, it, that town taught me hard work, man. Like you got on spring breaks, we'd go back and we'd scoop out the uh, pig shit at the, my, my buddy wags uh, hog farm. And I just, I just admire the people so much. It's not an easy way to live. Not all of them are farmers, but man, I have most of my family's farmed in some way at some point. I just, I, uh, I love and I admire their way of life, just how slow pace it is. Like I just, when I go back there, it's just like my shoulders just like release when I drive into the city limits there. So I, I don't even think I put it into very good words there, but I just have a very, it'll always have a very special place in my heart. That's for sure. Well, I think small towns kind of do that because it's, it's, it's familiar. It's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you have a sense of, of home for sure. I, I grew up a little bit in a small town south of Indianola, uh, outside of Lacona for five or six years before we moved back to Des Moines. But when you talk about your dad and, uh, and what he did for a living, I, my dad had an eighth grade education and yeah. uh, worked, his, worked his entire life and you know raised four kids and put me through college. And he always said to me, uh, one of the things that he always wanted to do was just one of his goals as a father was to make life better for me and for his kids so that they always had opportunities that he didn't have. So I, I think that kind of speaks to the same kind of thing that you probably Absolutely. grew up in. Well, and I, <laughs> this is my old man for you. He, and I, I, I think fortunately and unfortunately have taken the workaholic thing from him, but he, um, I had gotten hired, man, I don't know how old I was before. I mean, probably fifth, sixth grade to scoop the snow of these old people down the street. Whenever it, it snowed pretty simple, their kids came over and paid me 10 bucks. Like I did it or whatever. And my dad was like, Oh, well, that's interesting. Cause all of a sudden, you know, me, the entrepreneur in me, I'm like, well, I'm going to pick up a couple more. Like I, why, why would I just do one if I'm going to get out and be cold? So I had like four or five of them and dad's like, wow, you're making some money. So my old man kind of stole it from me. <laughs> we ended up sharing it, but it turned into what uh, was a great business for him. And it got him like he was able to retire from Hy-Vee early and he did this, but he started Williams Lawn Service down there and he did snow removal. And for the longest time he was working his, you know, 40 hours a week or whatever at Hy-Vee and then mowing, you know, 50 yards in the town. Um, and I know for a fact he was putting that money back for like for me and my sister in college and all that stuff. So. Yeah, really, a, really an inspiration. And uh, part of me just wishes that um, I just worked nine to five every once in a while. I, I won't lie. But I, if I did, I think I'd be bored out of my mind. And I know I come by it honestly because I, I saw my dad do it for so many years. Yeah, I can I can attest to that working with my dad in the small business that we had for the longest time. Um, it took me a while to understand that. Uh only because I was working, you know, I was 20, 25 years old working there. This, that was his dream to, to own his business and so on. So, you know, he was yeah. there on Saturdays, he was there on Sundays. And I would, we would have conversations sometimes about dad, you know, let's, <laughs> let's enjoy some of the fruits of our labor, but he just, that wasn't in him, right? It was yeah. the next opportunity. Somebody might want to come in. I might be able to, to sell more or I might, and I don't mean that in a greedy way. I just, no, mean, I get it. that was, that was, he was just, that was his, that was his fun was to be in his office and be in his store and run his store mm -hmm. and do things like that. And that's what he enjoyed. Uh, I didn't necessarily enjoy it when, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, he's calling me, telling me to come in to fix something because he told yeah, a customer, yeah. Oh yeah, we can fix up your laptop this afternoon. And I'm like, I'm not even in there today, but uh, I find myself doing that now though, uh, working more than I, than I probably should cutting some of my family time short but only so that I can keep uh, things for my family in okay. the accustomed that they want. So, yeah. Well, and what's interesting too, I don't know enough about what you do, Chris, but with the pandemic, we can work as much as we want now. Like, I mean, I could do a radio show that's broadcast from studio quality worldwide I could do it from on top of a pyramid as long as I have internet access, you know, and I think it's a blessing and a curse 
as long as we know how to deal with it. <laughs> right. Yeah. We, That's I had that key. conversation with a coworker. The other, I, I work in marketing. So I do a lot of it work within the marketing department and, and work on websites and edits and whatever. And, and really these companies, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but these companies have, I think in some ways benefited also from this pandemic, because I think it's a lot harder for employees to turn off their work at the end of the day. Okay. My office is right downstairs. My, uh, I, my previous job, my email from my work was on my phone. Mm-hmm. I'm always checking my phone for things. And I would find myself looking at an email and going, okay, well, I can work on that in the morning or I can go right downstairs right now and fix it in 10 minutes and then just be, have it be out of my hair. And next thing you know, it's six 30 at night and I'm downstairs working on something. Yeah. You know, it, it, you, yeah. it's a hard to get that, that life and work balance when you don't have a separation in your home. Oh. <laughs> Tim just moved his thing to a pyramid. That was well done. <laughs> that'll make you feel warmer up there in minnesota yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah no i i actually don't have that luxury i'm i'm a brewer by trade and it's kind of hard to uh brew beer remotely uh you kind of have to be there in person now you got a job that everybody thinks that they want and then they don't know the the amount of work and hours that go into what you do Right? Am I right? Uh, you, no, you're, up, what a perfect <laughs> week to ask him that question. Yeah, it's 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 been rough. the uh, The other brewer at work has been out with COVID, so oh, brutal. I've been uh, like getting up at five in the morning, going on in, working, going picking up my daughter, bringing her home, getting her fed and in bed, and going back to work, and then coming home and getting about four hours of sleep, and then going back in. It's been a rougher week. It's not a typical week, but it is definitely all very much a physically demanding job. And you know, once you get the north side of forty, then you're fe- you feel that physicality uh, yeah. ten times for sure. Uh, you know, it's it's scooping out grain, lifting grain bags, and lifting kegs, and and a lot of cleaning, a lot of cleaning. Um, you know, my I was just thinking today about how like completely eaten up by chemicals my hands are and, and uh, how sore my back is. So uh, I don't mind hunkering down in a storm, drinking some whiskey. Uh, no, yeah, cheers to that. It's, it's a, it's a good kind of respite for what I've been going through for sure. Yeah. Chris made me feel like a wimp earlier. I was like, Hey, uh, I, I still want to do the pod, but if I don't have internet or power and he's just like, ah, get some whiskey, you wimp for <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, half right. my Twitter feed was filled with people sitting out on the porch with a beer, drinking, and watching the weather. I won't lie. I did that because I just kept waiting for this thing to come, and I kept waiting and waiting, and then I saw my neighbor sitting out, and I'm like, okay, let's go have a beer. So, yeah, my neighbor tweeted across the street and told me to keep my crappy weather on my side of town, and I was like, <laughs> well, if my trash cans or anything else blow over there, I'll be over in the morning to pick them up. No I said, I assumed you were outside drinking anyway she goes no those damn sirens keep going off every 15 minutes it's better to be in the house i don't have to hear them (laughs) (laughs) i was kind of hoping you know because they've talked about along with a a tornado up here also hail because what don't you want to throw on a tornado but hail uh i was kind of hoping that would all be localized exactly over my roof tonight though because i desperately need a new roof and i would not be sad about that at all i got that one uh four years ago I got. I tried to get it last exact same thing. Yeah, I tried to get it last fall and it wouldn't pass. I think I got too hard of an insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah try one, again. 
the one I have was just like they barely even looked at it. They're like, yep, everybody else in the neighborhood got one, so they just gave me one too. So, so. <laughs> I'm in the wrong neighborhood, clearly. <laughs> Your neighbors think that too, Chris. I'm sure they do. I'm a de- <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a delight. <laughs> so you uh, you were talking about Dan McCarney uh, before. Uh, that was before you started Cyclone Fanatic. Let's talk about that. What 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 got you to start that? What where did that idea come from? And you know, being a young man and and just going out on your own there, that's got to be a pretty big leap of faith. So I actually. I have a really, really weird path. Like I, I didn't really pick this. Like I kind of just kept, you know, creating stuff and then I fell into it. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of walk you through it, but I was, I actually went, I didn't know I wanted to be in journalism. I didn't really know what I wanted to do going out of high school. I was really into acting. I did a lot of it. I would do like local commercials and, um, for so my first semester, I was a theater major, believe it or not at Iowa state. And I quickly learned like, okay, I don't want to do this. And I, I, I was always into sports. I had like three shoulder surgeries when I was in high school. So I just like, I just kept getting hurt. And, but I found a way, you know, through journalism to continue that passion and I, you know, I credit the theater thing a lot because it got me up in front of people and it got me, it built up confidence and being on stage. And I mean, that's the most vulnerable I think that I've ever been in my life when you're on, when you're on a stage doing live theater in front of a thousand people, right? Like that's, that's different than talking into a radio microphone when you can't see anyone. It's, it's really intimidating for a young guy and it, it was great for me, but um. I know, again, I was always kind of lost. I, I knew I wanted to get into sports, but I didn't really want to be like a newspaper writer. I was just old enough to have gotten the newspaper every day. And, and I, I still do, by the way. Um, and then I don't want to be talking down on newspapers. I think that they're integral for our society and we need real journalists out there, not hacks like me. Um, but I, I was really interested in the internet. So I was just young enough where there weren't a lot of people in journalism who really understood it. And it was, believe it or not, and I'm not endorsing his political views, but he's the guy who gave me my first opportunity was Steve Dace. And he, we had a friend of a friend introduced me to him. I talked to Steve one time and Steve was like, he was in love with me as far as the, this goes. And he gave me an opportunity for it. Scout scout.com. He starts putting me on the radio a lot. I was like 20, 19. Like I had <laughs> really no business doing this. Uh, Dace ends up quitting that company and boom, at the age of 20, I was the publisher of uh, Iowa State Scout site, the old scout.com. It was cyclonation.com. Mm-hmm. And it was a great thing for me because I could just kind of start going. It was bad for me because I never really had like an editor beating me up, which is really integral. Uh, I missed out on a lot. But with that, it led me to just really let my imagination fly. And I did a lot of really 
um, kind of, you know, unconventional things that I think had I gone through this, you know, go, go to journalism school, get an internship with the Des Moines Register, right? Like there's like a way that you normally would do it. And then a way that I did it, which was completely off the wall. Like, and it was all because like these opportunities just kind of fell in front of me. And I, I think I did a good job of taking advantage of them. Uh, so with that, I, it was at the end of, um, I graduated and I really didn't like the situation I was in, the people I was working for. And I got a job opportunity to go back home to do sports, uh, for the, for local radio station, which is like a cover, like the whole, like Western side of the state. It's one of those old heritage KMA radio, which is a, anybody in the Western side of Iowa knows what that is mm-hmm. big ag. Like it's a whatever. And so I went back and did it. Cause I'm like, well, I can actually get some insurance and, you know, maybe pay off some of these loans and the responsible thing. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I did that instead of, you know, just hump it wasn't as fun as being up here around iowa state and stuff but what i did was then paul clark from cyclone report let me keep writing blogs about iowa state while i was doing that so i never really stopped i still drove up to every football game and covered them like i was always there and i was i'll never forget it i was um i was fishing at the lake of the ozarks one day and i was engaged to my wife um, she was in vet school at Iowa state at the time. And I get a call from Ken Miller, who I kept in touch with, you know, over the years, I was still like his Iowa state guy. And he's like, Hey, I got a couple of guys. I want you to meet. They're going to call you. And from there, I literally there it's my business partners now, Jason. And he's like, we want to buy this cyclone fanatic site, which was just a message board. At the time, Cyclone Fanatic was created in 2005 by Jeremy Lind. Jeremy's a, still a buddy of mine. Um, it was just a message board where people would um, just, you know, bullshit about the Cyclones. Well, they wanted to buy it because they were very good businessmen and they saw like how many people were on this site. And they're like, well, we want you to run it. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. And I told the wife, hey, I'm going to quit my job, but I'm going to go start this blog. yeah we're getting married in three months um but that's exactly what i did because my my biggest thing guys is i i've been around iowa state just enough to know how passionate the fans were and to know that the media did not cover iowa state to the point that the fans were satisfied and i had grown up with my uncle reading voice of the hawkeye i grow you know like there's all this and back then, and I don't want to be the like grouchy Iowa State fan about the media, the coverage was not equal. And it probably shouldn't have been because there were way more Iowa fans. I understand they're trying to sell papers. They're trying to get ratings. But I understood because of my, again, my unconventional ways, like there's a market here. Like these people, there might be fewer Iowa State fans, but they are passionate. They're like NASCAR fans. Like if you, like if my favorite driver switches sponsors, like right now, Chase Elliott drives uh, for Napa, if he's driving the O'Reilly's car, I'm going to start buying my stuff at O'Reilly's because that's how NASCAR fans are. And I think Iowa state fans are very similar and yeah. we didn't really understand the business model. We didn't really know what we were doing, but damn it. Like I was passionate about it and I, I knew I wanted to get back up here. And so I dove right in and we, I came up with a five-year plan and I was like, 
all right, it's a message board now and we want it to be a brand in five years. And we was like, so we added a radio show. We added, we started doing podcasts in 2009, which podcasts weren't really even like podcasts at that point, but I knew they wouldn't let me on the radio. So I was going to find a way to get my stuff out there. And (laughs) they, you know, and it, and it worked out so that, yeah, that's kind of my path. And then I came up here in 2009 and started to try and do this full time. I think the KXNO thing started in God, I don't even remember 15, 2015, 16, something like that. We're at like year six now, if you don't count getting fired and getting Mm -hmm. brought back. So yeah, I think that that covers pretty much anything, but yeah, it's, it's been quite the whirlwind. I've not had like your traditional, like newspaper journalism career though. I can attest that like, this is, it's been a very uh, bumpy road along the way. Well, my first reaction is probably that when most stories are unconventional that way are probably the ones that are more successful because you work so hard at it. Well, I appreciate that. And it, the one thing that I, I think I've had to work the most on is doing a podcast or a radio show or even calling a game is pretty natural to me. Like you have to work at all that stuff. I mean, if you can see behind like these, are, I mean, I've got, 15 books on play by play Mm -hmm. that right here that I, every time I'm going to call a game, I refresh myself on. So it's not like I'm slacking on what, what I, when I took this thing over though, you know, we had server problems. We had viruses on the website. I have no idea. I'm a, I'm 24. I'm a sportscaster from Southwest Iowa. I don't have the freaking clue. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that people don't realize about Cyclone Fanatic is we don't have an IT team. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have <laughs> we don't have like developers on call in New York. It's nothing. It's just us. And I quickly had to teach myself how to become more than just a guy who wrote about the running back commitment, if that makes sense. Because if I didn't, this thing wasn't going to work no matter how many people were on the website because if they were getting viruses on their computer and, and you know, then they weren't going to keep coming back. So we had to, that was the, that's been the biggest process for me over the last 17 years is like, there's the fun stuff that everybody wants to do, but then there's the business stuff. And it's really been the last three, four years where I finally grasped that. And that's what I've had to work the hardest on is, okay, this has been fun. Now, how do I grow a business and how do we make it sustainable for the long term, you know, to hand off to the next guy? And that's really been my goal. The The pandemic was a real, you know, shot of cold water across the face, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I, I was going to ask you a little bit about that. So you had mentioned um, earlier that that, you know, your job is sort of i don't want to say pandemic proof but you can you can do it from anywhere you don't have to be going into an office to do it um but it it's it's definitely something that still affected uh you guys over at cycling fanatic and i want big time yeah and so i, I wanted to know <laughs> yeah. a little bit more about what what that kind of looked like for you and uh what you guys did to to navigate that well i'll, I'll never forget it i was i was in kansas city uh, the men had lost on Wednesday in the Big 12 tournament. 
and I was calling the women's tournament uh, that week in Kansas city for the radio network. And we all knew like, cause if you guys remember, do you remember watching Fred Hoiberg get really sick yeah. over Nebraska? Yeah. And we're all like, Oh my God, like he has COVID he's going to die. Cause we didn't know, like nobody knew anything at that time. And like, we all thought like these games were going to get canceled, but we didn't really know for sure. And I'll never forget going into, I mean, shoot around with the women's team and they just call us all off the court. And that was it. Like that was, that was it. Season's pretty much over. Girls are crying. Bill Finley's crying. Like it was a, and I hadn't even really thought about it. I'm like, we were so naive. We're like, Oh, well, this will be over in a month. Right. Like, Oh, we'll just all stay in our houses and this thing will disappear. Well, you know, here we still are, but, um, I try not to look at our finances every day. Like it's, they always tell you, don't look at your 401k daily, right? Like do it a couple times a year. Well, I, the, it was two days after get back from Kansas city. And I looked at like our ad rates and they sunk like a rock ad rates suck right now. Anyways, like it's just, I think humans are just so I, I don't even sell banner ads on our website anymore because I just, there's so many better ways that we can promote a product. Uh, mm-hmm. People are just accustomed to them now. I think like, it's like it's camouflage for humans. Cause they've seen them so many, so much. That's just my opinion. But we used to, when I started doing this, we'd get like $2 and 50 cents per, uh, it's called a CPM. So that's a thousand times an ad gets seen. You would get $2 and 50 cents. You know, I mean, Cyclone Fanatic gets, on a good day, three hundred thousand dollars, three hundred thousand uh, page views. So that I mean, that adds up, and you can make a living doing that. Not a great living, but it's enough. And th- that day, I looked. I think we had like thirteen cents was the CPM that that we got, and, and it and it had gone down. Like we were getting below a dollar. Like we're around like ninety cents, ninety five cents, whatever. Again, that's still doable because we have other ways to create revenue. But our our bottom line went to like zero mm-hmm. in one day. And all the local, you know, all of our local clients are canceling because they aren't open. Right. And I, I can't hold them to a contract they signed with me if they can't stay open. Like, I'm not right. going to do that. I mean, I probably could have been a dick about it and tried, but I wasn't going to do that. And it was like, holy shit, like, this is real. Um, you know, you're watching the news about all these people losing their jobs. It's just like, we got to figure something out. Mm-hmm. And at that time, like I had been seriously tossing around the idea to do a premium type of experience. It's like one fanatic and, uh, with our Patreon page. And then we have a premium message board. And I was basically like, I just put all my chips in the middle and I said, we, we got to do this and we got, we got no other option. And people responded really well. And believe it or not, I actually think our product is immensely better now than it ever has been. I think that it's going to keep getting better. The more subscribers we get, the less time I have to be out selling ads. Mm-hmm. The fewer ads we have, the better product it is for the listener. And that, I, I'm most proud of that with anything we've ever done. It's like one fanatic, just how we responded to the pandemic and how, and I'm all eternally grateful for our users and listeners and readers that they appreciate, appreciated our product enough to, you know, kind of trust us and 
um, step into this new and everything that we have always done for free is still there. Like we still write about all of our podcasts are free. Everything's still free. Uh, but we have these enhanced experiences uh, that people can get and they pay for. And it's been a really big success thus far. So um, that that's how we've done it. But man, it's ever evolving. Like it's, it's ever changing. Like every, I'm not kidding you. Every day I get an email from somebody in the tech world, like pitching something This is changing. And like, it's, it's, it's quite overwhelming, but I try now to really just push all that to May through July, you know, to work on that stuff. Cause if not, I mean, it could consume you. Sure. I, I like to call your Patreon emails, the talk Chris off the ledge emails. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> You say that, Especially I'm going to pour me another weeks. bottle. Man. <laughs> right? Especially after the last few weeks. The, Are there days, is, though, that, that something breaks and you think to yourself, oh, fuck. Like, seriously, I got to deal with oh, this. Thing. Yeah, the, the Matt Campbell USC stuff did that. It totally did that to me. I, and I, I can say this now. Uh, I told our um, our subscribers it was it that Saturday night. I thought he was gone, and mm-hmm. luckily I was wrong. But the whole time, like I thought it was super, super, super odd, super odd. Like I, because nothing was coming from Iowa State, and those guys like try and cover up a lot with injury, but they're not liars. Like Matt Campbell's not a lie. Like if he looks you in the eye and he tells you something. He means it. And that was the oddest deal. Everything out of LA. I mean, I had, I'm not going to name names, but I had guys who you all have heard and watched and listened to reaching out to little old me. And it was almost as if it was like set up to make Campbell look like the guy as a smoke screen. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. that's the day though, Chris, that Saturday I got, I had gotten back from, I was with the basketball team in Brooklyn. We landed at like 5 a.m. on Saturday because we, if you remember, that was a super late kick or yeah. it was a late tip. And we left after that game. So we drove from Brook from Brooklyn to Long Island and flew. And um, yeah, 5 a.m. we landed. And I was like, shit, this Campbell thing is real. Like, there's, I was like, I don't know if Matt's interested, but I know USC is like something's going on. And that was, one of the harder ones. Cause it's just like, it's so hard. Cause you don't want to, um, my, I always tell you guys, like, I'm not going to create news, mm-hmm. you know? And I think a lot of times people are like, Oh, I seem young's transferring. Why Chris? And I'm like, I don't know. Give me five minutes. Can you? Can you <laughs> right. No, I don't know. Like, I got to figure it out. I don't know. Like, I'm just as taken aback as you are. Well, and, yeah. and, and that was one question that I had. Cause you know, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, you have that work ethic and, and you're always kind of working and, and, you know, right, wrong or indifferent that might play a part. And in, in, like, you don't know how to balance things because you're always passionate about getting these things. But how much of an obligation, like something like that happens, three or four players jump into the, the transfer portal all at once. There has to be a part of you that goes, OK, I got to dig in and, and you yeah. know, ask some questions or. Jesus, I just want to sit down and have a drink for a second. Really? Well, yeah, no, I get it. Um, I mean, I was, I have days like that, guys, like any of us. Like, I, I had a day like that on, which day was it? Monday. I, 
I've just been like sick kids, just everything compiling into one. It's been a really long, like five weeks. And I was like sitting down. We, we had a remote at the Wolves game, which believe it or not, I, lo- I love going to like Wolves and Wild games because there's a couple hundred people there. It's super chill, but you got all these really passionate people. I love supporting those guys. And um, I was really looking forward to a relaxing evening. And then like all hell broke loose on the transfer portal. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit, what's going on here? But yeah, like that's the hard part, like the hardest part of my job and the content sense guys is you have to walk a fine line where I'm a cyclone guy and I don't hide that I'm wearing an Iowa state logo right now as we do this podcast, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. hide it and I never want to hide it. Cause I, I don't want to be a phony. I don't want to be the guy like cheering on the cyclones because I do, but Oh, I'm Mr. Objective either. But I also want to, um, be able to be a professional when I need to be and stuff. And there, there's oftentimes when you have to start pressing to get answers where I'll put it this way. Like I, I bet there's members of the football staff that are probably more upset with me than they've ever been mm-hmm. after the last like four weeks, because I've been asking more and more questions and stuff, but I do it for the, I do it for the subscribers. I do it for our listening audience, you know, like I, at the end of the day, I always tell every coach I've ever worked with. Um, Dan McCartney taught me this, but like, just no matter what I ever say or do, like, I'll always be fair. Like, I'll never make it personal. I'll always be fair. And hopefully they respect that. And this football staff's awesome. Like, I mean, it's by far uh, the best football staff I've ever worked with at Iowa State. They, they get it. Like, there was one time a long time ago, I think it was his first year where I'm sure he doesn't do this now, but they would have our radio show would play in the football offices a lot. This is right when Matt had gotten the job and Matt texted me and basically called me a wuss because I wasn't being hard enough on the team. (laughs) (laughs) Now I can't imagine that happening in 2021, but my point being like, if I, if I say Iowa state play like crap, it doesn't mean like, yeah, well, this is what my big thing is, and this will be interesting to you guys because you guys are fans. Like, I, the whole, like, the one biggest thing I've seen change in the 17 years I've been doing this is, like, when Iowa State used to lose one game, basketball or football, it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah. It was just like, okay, well, what do we do for the next one? Like, now, fans, like, I think it's just because we can all react with our phones, like, immediately, and we got a few yeah. years in us. It seems like maybe I've just become too sensitive to it. Maybe. I don't know. But maybe I'm, I'm going to flip this around. I'm going to ask you guys, why? Like, why is it that now oh, we lost to Baylor? You know, everything's ending. Or, we, I, you know. I, I can tell you exactly why. Because, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, Chris, as a fan, I'll, I would take this feeling over the, over the previous feelings I've had all the time. Because I can't remember a, t- a time being a fan of the Cyclones and being mad when we didn't win because I expect us to win every game. No, that's that's totally yeah. fair. And that's and that's why I I, I said at the beginning of this year I, I can't I think we were talking to uh, um, Julian Good Jones and we had interviewed uh, Josh Kniffel and I said I'm to the point now where we've had enough excuses. I'm going to hold this team accountable because they're going to help. They're going to hold themselves accountable, and mm-hmm. they've put these expectations out there 
as a fan, I expect us to win every game. And if we don't, I'm going to be pissed off and I'm going to be disappointed and I'm going to be upset. And you know what? I'm going to be okay with that. See, Cause I'd and, much rather have that feeling yeah. than the previous years where I was like, I don't even know if we're going to score two touchdowns today. See, see I, I think my theory, cause I, for what it's worth, I'm with you. I, I had him at 10 and two this year. Like I thought the floor was eight and four, mm-hmm. which clearly was not like I, the Iowa game pissed me off. Like to this day, like I'm still mad about that game and how they called it and whatever. But anyways, I think my theory is now like, so you all, you probably Chris always felt that way about Iowa state ba- go to basketball now. Right. Like where yeah. the expectations have been higher, but you didn't have a Twitter feed where you could go out and make that presence felt. No, now I do. Right. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? So put yourself in my Everybody's shoes. Everybody's well aware of my Twitter presence when I get yeah. pissed off. But you know what I'm saying? Like, put yourself in my shoes where it's like, I used to do call-in shows during the McDermott era on yeah. KXNO. Mm-hmm. The only people I heard from was ones who would pick up the phone and call, and they'd, they'd be pissed because they have higher expectations for Iowa State basketball. Christ, we were in an Elite Eight, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Now... Every person is tweeting. <laughs> and yeah. so I think it's just, I think it's kind of like, I, I don't know. I, I think it's fascinating. I'm not judging or blaming or anything. I think it's fascinating, like how fandom has changed over, you know, with social media and whatnot. Well, I, I will take it one step further and then that'll lead into to the next question. But I've gotten to know uh, on a personal basis, uh, John Walling. I've gotten to know George dad. Yeah. Um, a couple of the parents. So now I find myself like, I really want to rip this whole fucking team because they disappointed <laughs> me or whatever else. But then I'm like, but you know, there's people on here that I respect and I don't want them to ever think that I'm that because I know those players are probably just as pissed off, if not more than I am. So, yeah, you know, as long as I'm not calling out a player specifically and saying that kid sucks or whatever, I feel like I'm justified to say, this is bullshit. We should have won that game. You're angry about the uh, the Iowa game. For me, it's the Baylor game because the Baylor game this year was the exact same fucking game from 2019. We played like shit for three quarters and then ran out of time. Like, and and that seems to be something that happens quite a bit with that team. The Iowa game bugged me real quick. Is because I just felt like we've all watched Iowa play so much. Mm-hmm. Oh it's yeah. Like, Oh, so let's do exactly what they want us to do. That was yes. what bugged me about that game. Right. It's just like it it reminded me of the Steve Prome game against Purdue. Oh, for in sure. The, in the round of 32. It's like everybody knew play Deontay at the five run. Yeah. Those seven footers can't keep up. Didn't do it. You get down 17, you put Deontay in, you come back. Like it's just like, and I listen, like, this is stupid. Like I Tom Manning is – I love Tom Manning. He run – Tom Manning, in my opinion – I'm going to write a column about this someday. Dude <laughs> dude orchestrates, like, the greatest offenses in Iowa State history and still just gets persecuted because he's the play caller. Ripped. You know, we've never had offenses like this, and he's still <laughs> the guy who everybody wants to kill. Uh, so, like, I, I fully admit all of this, but I just – that Iowa game just drove me crazy because it's like, you're doing what they want you to do. It's just Ferentz. Well, yes. and, and and there has not been a more predictable, more boring, more basic. Like I'm not taking anything away from Iowa. They 
they have a 10 win season and we do not no um, doubt. but but there's never been a more just difficult to watch iowa team that has had oh. more success than this year's team and i agree with you it was it was it was literally looking at at a very basic, very underwhelming offense, a really boring, like just boring and predictable offense. Um, a yeah. defense that I think is good, but could easily be manipulated with, with something different. And I feel like we just played right into, we're going to play right at the level of that game rather than doing anything different. Looking back, I think that Iowa state probably right. Cause we heard Campbell and, and Campbell's not a liar. I guarantee he meant this about the stuff about the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Campbell doesn't lie in the offseason. Like he he'll lie about injuries and stuff, but if he tells you like this guy's good in camp, it always happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that they grossly overshot how good their offensive line was going to be. And if you sure. think back to those first two games and how those games were called, those games were called like we're going to be able to beat you up up front. Mm-hmm. And Iowa State couldn't do that. They didn't do it all year. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that, no- that's they're not dumb. Like, you know, I, they're going to try and win the game. I think had they known the line was going to be weak in weeks one and two, they probably call those games a little differently, but you know, here we are. It's December 15th. I, I think one of the, one of the challenges, one, one of the criticisms for, for, for coach Manning is, you know, because of the fact that we had so much talent at the skill possessions, uh, positions that you hadn't seen in in for a while. So yeah, he has created some of the more dynamic offenses that we've ever seen, and what that has resulted in is kind of a a, a double edged sword for him. Like it's a blessing and a curse. Is that now he's created some of the best players that we've ever seen, not just at running back or just at wide receiver, or just at tight end or just at quarterback. Like the best players in all of those positions to ever put on a cyclone uniform have played under Tom Manning. And so now it, it creates an unrealistic set of expectations. I think think Um, it's really fair. I think. Yeah. Victim of his own success, I guess. I think if we're all being honest, we look back at 2020 and I'm happy to, I'm wrong. Most of the time, I'm happy to say the biggest prediction I ever got right was when that pandemic hit. I said that this team is going to thrive. And the reason I said that is because I know the guys at the top and I knew that Matt and Tom and Haycock and those guys would be able to maneuver in ways that I didn't think Gary Patterson would be able to Mm -hmm. not be not exactly because of his age, but I've been around Gary Patterson a lot. Gary Patterson is very regimented. I get up at six, damn it. You know, I, uh, this is when we practice. No, we're not taking tests today. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I knew that this staff would be awesome in in maneuvering. And they were. And with that, they were better in that season than the overwhelming majority of their competition. It's not an excuse, but it's a reality. Like, it's a reason. That Louisiana game, Iowa State had like 36 dudes. Their first day of practice was the Monday of that game. Mm-hmm. You know, and that yeah. is that an excuse? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, but it's also a reason. It's I mean, a reason. That's a, yeah, I mean, but yeah. people don't like hearing that in general. But um, well, and there was a there was I, a lot of flack. Yeah, for, there was a lot of flack about what Campbell said a couple weeks ago about um, putting this. I wanted this team to be the most together team that I've had, and I think that plays into what 
helped them last year. Absolutely. That And so, I mean, he can take all the flack he wants for that, but I think the people that know him and know what he was talking about realize what that meant. And last year's a good example of that. Completely in his culture. Yeah. And that, I mean, I, I, I reference my books, but I love my little library back here. It's like my happy place, but, um, I mean, there's four or five of there that Matt has personally recommended to me over the years. And like he, I always joke with people like they'll, I get asked this quite for some reason. I get asked this a lot, like which college football coach would you want to have a beer with? And my answer is not Matt Campbell. because <laughs> Matt's going to be like, Oh, well, he's like quoting like philosophers from the 1600s. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to have a beer with Gundy. Damn it. You know, like, uh, but that, but my point is when, when Matt caught flack for that, like, that's just him mm-hmm. that's our guy like i mean that, that's just him and i um you know I, I went to bat pretty hard for him on that only because it's like kind of like what we're doing right now i've had enough times where it's like i've sat and done these podcasts with him and he's so open he's so awesome in that setting however you put a bunch of cameras in front of him he's gonna lock down really fast Mm-hmm. but I've, I've had enough like private moments with that's him. And he's never going, he's never going to sit around and like be like, and he's guys, he's saying the same stuff. Nick Saban does, except Nick has however many national right. titles, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. I, yeah. I always relate to the story. Uh, Josh and Jordan were part of victory day for two or three years. And the first two years that they went, he remembered them. That's awesome. And, the Doesn't West Virginia me. game, the West Virginia game, when uh, we beat them, it was uh, uh, 2018. Was that when we beat them at home? They were ranked. Um, yeah, that was the game. Will we Greer just was there. Them. Yeah, we yeah, just so killed them. The, yeah. the boys were actually with their dad at the game uh, in the grass uh, hill over where the team walks out. And prior to the game, he had walked by. The boys were at the fence. He walked over and remembered them, remembered their name. And just doing that for those types of kids instills some of the things that, that I think he was talking about to his players about, I, of course, he wants to win national championships. And of course, he wants to win conference championships. But I believe him when he says building a program means he's going he's gonna to teach these boys to be men, to have some integrity and some honor. And that's a bigger deal to him. And when you do those types of things, all that other stuff will take care of itself. Absolutely. And he and he means all of it. Like there nothing Matt Campbell does is for show. I can promise you. Like he no. it, it's not. If if it was, he wouldn't have answered the question like that. He would have pounded on the table and talked about how going seven and five is not acceptable and like um he, he, he had a similar moment for me, like you did with your boys. I mean, the, when I got fired from KXNO and all of us did, like, I'm not kidding. One of the first five people I heard from was Matt. Like I, I saved the voice. I didn't answer it. I didn't, I wasn't answer. It's really broken up at the time. I didn't even have my phone. And like the voicemail he left me was like, I went from like a total, like feeling like a total zero to like wanting to, um, take on the world after listening to it it's just the guy's the real deal and he's more than a football coach i know that that's pretty much cliche but he's 
he's a, he's a really really special person, and he's he's made a large impact on on my life. I can tell you that. Like he's a, I, I'd take a bullet for that guy. I I get the sense that uh, you know a guy like Charlie Kohler winning the the William Campbell Trophy probably means just as much to him as oh yeah as any Guaranteed. other. Any other uh, thing I, I'm, I'm I just, you know, he didn't have a huge statement about that, but I guarantee you that that meant a ton to him to see Charlie win that award. No, absolutely. I think too, like one of my favorite things about Matt and it always wasn't like, I guess, popular with fans. I don't know. I apparently like the way I read fans is just completely off, but the, how many times like he would go out of his way to go to back for Brock Purdy yeah, Brock, Brock Purdy was just a. I mean, it was a uh, familiarity breeds contempt type thing. Like, I mean, yeah. like the the criticism that he he didn't always play perfect. Like, he's got to be better in certain spots than he was earlier in the year, no doubt. Like, but that's like um, the old Brooks and Dunn song. You better kiss me because you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. <laughs> that's where my head's at during these conversations. Yep. That's all right. But I loved how, like, just Matt, like, that's my guy. I'm always going to have my guys back. I'm never going to throw him under the bus. And that's just how he is. I mean, I don't remember a single time where Matt's let a player take a shot. No, he's always taking the hit for them. Always. Yep. And I love that. That's how it should be. Yeah. I'm going to go back to something you said earlier about um, separating your fandom and your and and your journalism duties and whatever you've been pretty open about your friendship with, with coach Otzelberger. Yes. Um, yes. So I've always wondered, um, and I kind of admire you about that. You haven't hid that. That's been open an open book about it. Um, and I remember when he got hired, one of my first thoughts was first of all, I was excited because I thought he should have got the job five years ago, to be honest with you. Um, but I thought, man, if he doesn't, I wonder what Chris will do if he has some rough seasons how hard that would be. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't question that you wouldn't be able to do it, but I'm just curious, how hard would that be to hold him to the fire knowing that you're such good friends with him? Well, and that honestly, um, so he gets the job. I was, I was at a family wedding when he got the job uh, in Arizona. Um, he was the one who told me, uh, which was an honor for him to, call me and tell me like I found out before it was on Twitter and stuff. And it was, you know, it was a cool moment. You guys have got to realize that me and TJ, this wasn't like a, a marriage out of convenience or anything. So he was 26. I was 22. He gets his first job in Ames, a 26 year old coming to Ames. You don't know anybody. We met through work and we just became buddies. Like it, it was totally just like, Oh, we're going to watch. We got UFC fights together. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch the fights. Like, um, we go out and have a beer. Like it, it, that's all it was. It wasn't, it wasn't a lot more than that. Uh, one thing people don't know is I was really good friends with his wife before they were husband and wife, because she was the roommate of my roommate's girlfriend. So I knew Allison like really, really well. Um, anyways, so TJ and I, like, we literally grew up in this business together in the sense that, um, we you know, go through the McDermott era. He gets retained by Fred. Like, so we're, we're still there. And it's, it was always, we were friends. Um, 
friends, borderline good friends, but not great friends. Like we kept the distance because of the work thing. I did at least. And then when he left for Washington, it was kind of like, well, we don't have to do that anymore. He became really close and started talking every day. And he moved back to, um, to Brookings. And then I could drive and it was just like, you know, I'd go over and see him. We went on some vacations in Okaboji, his families and stuff. And, and like, and it just, we, we've grown up together is the best way to put it. And we've watched each other mature and like, we've been there for one another um, to be very real. Like he's, he's been there for me in times that nobody else even knows about. Like, um, I don't know how deep you guys want me to get, but like, we're good. It, it, it's very, go. it, it's a very deep, like friendship that we have. It's not, and it was totally organic because we were both so vulnerable at a young age in jobs that neither one of us should have had. Mm-hmm. So, so like I helped him out, like how to, I was teaching him how to do an interview because he had just been an AAU coach. <laughs> he had never been in front of the media. And he's teaching me like, hey, don't be this douchebag who says this, right? And like, and it that that's how it started. And I honestly, at that time, like I never imagined like, oh, he's going to be the next head coach. He's going to be a head coach at Iowa State. And I thought when he went to Vegas, like I was like, he's going to be there forever because it's a perfect job. Like he's I mean, I I thought he'd be out there and I was content with it because I had a free place to stay. It was awesome. But um, I I didn't want to cover the program anymore. That was my first uh, instinct was to just come out and say, I'm not going to talk about or write about Iowa State basketball anymore. And he convinced me not to do that. He uh, it was one of the, it was like two weeks into him taking the job and I was up there at the office and he's like, we can do this. Like he goes, I'm a big, like, honestly, like I, I can't think of a human being who insults me more than TJ. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, like it's kind of like just, me and Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just going to say the exact same thing. If you've ever followed us on Twitter, <laughs> you understand I, like, so my, he convinced me, he's like, Chris, like, I don't want you to like give up what you love and your career just because I'm here. And I was like, well, you know, I can do it. Like, I, I know I can do it. And my whole thing, guys, is like, I never want to be viewed as like a mouthpiece because I, I, I won't like if I'm ever that I hope people tell me that's the one thing that gets under my skin. Like, I have very thick skin now. Been doing this for too long not to. When people the because 50% of them think I'm a homer and 50% of them think I'm too hard on Iowa State. So I mean, you, that's, you, how, that's how I want it. Like, I just want to be real. That's all I want. It's literally Cyclone Fanatic. Like, like let's yeah. be honest here. I like, am a homer. Like, yeah, I want to yeah, be right. yeah. But, yeah. but by nature of the job, you have to be somewhat of a homer. That doesn't mean you, can, you have to be soft. I, I want to be a guy who, like, will call it how he sees it. And is my my thought and this is this was TJ's idea keep covering the team be open about it everybody knows about it like i've been honest and if i have to tap out at some point i'll tap out but i don't plan on it i did that with bill finley when the nicky moody stuff happened mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys remember yeah. i went on my radio oh, yeah. show and i said hey i can't be objective about this right and 
And maybe that is the biggest drawback of this unconventional route that I've taken. You know, if I, I don't know if it's a drawback or I think it's just a, we all have unintended circumstances that happen, right? In any decision that we make, there's something that you don't think about. And, you know, um, I don't think TJ would probably have ever, or I, any coach would, uh, it, it'd be harder to like for the columnist that's hammering them all the time. Right. Like, so like, but again, like I, I walked through the outline with you guys. I've never told that story publicly, but that's how TJ and I became so close. It was actually when he was in Washington, believe it or not. And mm-hmm. at that point, I never thought he would be back at Iowa state. And he was just a really good mentor for me. And we were going through some stuff at the same time and we leaned on one another. And, but I can tell you one thing, like I am so proud of that guy. Like he has evolved so much and I'm with you, Chris. Like I was beating the drum for him to get the job when Steve got it. And I don't want this to turn into a Steve prom sucks thing. Um, but I, I, I will tell you this though. And I said this to Jared the other night, I think it worked out best for everybody that TJ got to go and be the head coach for sure. of South Dakota State and get those experiences yeah. doing LV. And I and I'll I hope I'm right going on the record December fifteenth, <laughs> two thousand and twenty one. He's it's going to be our Tom Izzo man. I, I, and I, I hope in twenty years that he, he guy and I because here's the problem: we all want all these people to love Iowa State as much as we do. It's difficult for Matt Campbell to love it as much as we do because he's not from here. You know, like he and I'm not saying he doesn't. He's been very loyal. Like it's been great. TJ is while he's physically not from here, he's one of us. He he's been through three regimes of Iowa State and still wanted to come back here. He wants to raise his kids here. He can be our Tom Izzo. This is our guy. Fred was here and God love him. He he did so much and he brought us back from the dead. He always wanted to go to the NBA. This is TJ's NBA. He, he, he wouldn't leave here to go to Wisconsin. I promise you. And yeah, that's we, why like, we need to wrap our arms around this guy. And that's, that's a very biased opinion, but I've already walked through it. I think, I think you're right. I, I think it's, it worked out better for him uh, to, and cards on the table. I wasn't someone who wanted him back the first time around, not because, I didn't have confidence that he understood the program or understood Iowa state or anything like that, but it was that reticence of, you know, we had been through uh, a couple of challenging hires and a couple of, of changes in the, in the past. Right. And I think it worked out better for him to go get that experience at other schools and to go. I think you're right, Tim. Right. Like, like just to be able to get that. Yeah. I think it, I think it, it made him 10 times a better coach, a better recruiter, uh, better able to deal with uh, a fickle fan base. I mean, if you listen to those UNLV fans right now, um, they're still pretty sore. Um, I I don't. Is it mad? I know <laughs> I they were really that. mad when he. Oh left. yeah, yeah. I, I've had to block quite a few. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Yeah, yeah. I've I unfollowed. I used to follow a lot of you. in fact, I almost started the UNLV basketball blog two years ago when he started the job because it was like, well, I'm going to be watching every game anyway. But I'm, I'm glad I didn't. Uh, but like, yeah. when Steve got that last extension, though, like, it was like, well, 
No, but nobody saw it coming how quickly things fell off there. I, the only thing that I, and I, I, I didn't see things coming, but the only thing that I saw where I started to have a problem with, with Steve Prome was the year that he benched Wigington after an injury. And it just seemed like every year there was a player or two that was in his doghouse that could never get out, whether it was uh, McKay his first year or Wigington or Lard or just it always just seemed like there was somebody that he had a problem with or whatever, and I couldn't figure that out. And just the team chemistry, I think, just started to erode there a little bit. Yeah, I don't even know, honestly. Here I am supposed to be the expert. Um, my, I, I think a lot of what happened too, and I think they ran out of veterans, you know, like mm-hmm. we had so many guys leaving where I'll take it to my grade. The guys who Fred and the transfers get all this credit. If Scott Christopherson, Deontay Garrett and Melvin Edgem aren't there that first year. Mm-hmm. Oh, you for know, sure. the, uh, those guys, the, those guys mean and George Niang, Naz Long, Matt Thomas, Monte Morris, all those four-year guys, those guys were the glue. And Steve never like he just never had these four-year, three-year guys who were, you know, and part of it because he recruited too well. Like they left. They went to the NBA, right? With with Tyrese. And think if Tyrese and Taylor were four-year guys, but they but they weren't. Yeah. But they, he never had like this recruiting class coming in and then seeing, you know, five dudes in the gym at 6 a.m. getting jumpers in. He never had that after right. that first year. And I, I think that that looking back now is the detriment to to that era. But you're right. I mean, it was always there. There was always something. I mean, part of part of why we had you on here, Chris, Um you know, the, the conceit of this entire thing is that we're just a couple of dads uh, trying to figure out what what success in life looks like. Right. And, and uh, uh, as much as we talked about, you know, always kind of working and always being on uh, you, you are a dad and you have uh, a family where you're having to figure out. Um, how to dad in between all of your responsibilities. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and it's not even just in between all your responsibilities. It's how to dad while doing all of your responsibilities. And that's not always an easy thing to, to, to figure out by, by any means. Um, but uh, if there's two guys that get that more than Chris and I, I'd love to meet them. Yeah. Honestly, like that's, that's been the hardest part for me in the last like two or three, really since my second one was born. When the first one was born, it was like, you deal with it. Right. When you get two, it's like a totally, total game changer, especially if you have one. And Chris knows about this, that it has some special needs. My daughter um, is great now, but she grew up like in it. It wasn't like ever like life threatening or, but she had this foot thing going on where she was always in a cast and like, it was just every week we had to drive to Iowa city. And like, it was just a lot mm-hmm. for a first time parent. And I know that there's so many out there. I have so many war, so much worse, but like you're talking to a guy who would normally just work like 60 hour weeks just for fun, mm-hmm. like before this. And then, and my wife's a veterinarian. She works all the time. So it was like, 
a lot of lifestyle change right at once. And then we have the second one, which is great, total blessing. And I'll, I'll talk about this openly because I think it's important to, in vitro, all infertility stuff, like anybody out there needs to talk about that, send me a PM or something because it's, it's hell. Like it's, I mean, I'm glad we have the technology, but like it is, it's an awful process to go through. And so like, we're very blessed to have the second one, but then she gets here and it's just like, whoa, like this is um, like at night now, instead of like putting the first one down at eight and working until midnight, like I was used to, it's like, well, then uh, she's crying now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like it just. Yep. And like the hardest part for me, I think is less about my girls. It's I'm getting older and I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But how old are you? I, I, I'm 37. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I know. Yeah. I get it. I, I yeah, yeah. Honestly, I, guys, 37, I had two girls. I had two girls. Kind of, they were a little older, but I kind of the same deal. I mean, you, I've said a long time, a lot of times in a lot of this podcast, I've talked about my oldest Taylor, who has had a lot of challenges, um, whether it be with her sexuality or just her transitioning to being an adult and, and, and the struggles that I have of being a good dad to her. Cause I, I've, as I've said a hundred times, I've probably failed a million times when it comes to that kid, but that's because I'm never, ever going to be a dad of a 26, 27 year old girl until that happens. Yeah, every, I, every I just don't. I just every, don't every single new experience, know. every single new experience you're novice at. Like you, right. so, you don't know until you're no until playbook. You're there. No, yeah. so you do the best you can at the moment that you have to make that decision. And it's a hard thing to deal with sometimes when it's not the right decision, to be a hundred percent honest with you, but you don't know it at the time. That's what's so damn frustrating. And what's mm-hmm. even worse for me is is I can't pick up the phone and call my dad. So, you know, that's, that's super hard for me, but, uh, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the, it, um, the other kids, you know, I, I, I tend to, to figure it out a little bit better. It's unfortunate that Taylor gets the shit into the deal, <laughs> but you know, yeah, but she doesn't know any different because you're no, her dad she and she looks no. up to you and you're her world. And that's what I want to be like that's the thing like i talked earlier about how hard of a worker my dad was but i never really even realized it when i was a kid because he was always there for me whenever i needed him he didn't make every game he didn't make everybody but i always knew like he wanted to be there you know it wasn't like he was sitting at the bar like he was right yep he was working for our family and i it's a blessing and a curse you guys are looking at my zoom, like this office that I'm sitting in, like I can do anything here. This is where cyclone fanatic runs right here. And it's a, it's a total blessing. Cause it's like at the drop of a hat, I, I can go and pick up my two-year-old Elise. If she's sick at daycare, it's a curse because I can drop anything at a hat and be there. <laughs> and that's what's so hard for me guys. And I've had, I, I, I have not talked about this to anyone else. Um, publicly, but I'll just say it because you guys, I love your guys' pod. I've listened to it a bunch, believe it or not. I, I haven't told you guys this, but I, I well, just appreciate how vulnerable that means you a lot. I had a bit of an incident in February where I just lost my, I just, my mental health just took an all time like dive. I mean, I've been on anxiety meds forever mm-hmm. and um, whatever, everybody deals with their own stuff but I, it was rock bottom for me. 
And I think a lot of it, you know, it was this pandemic for one, like we're all just in weird mindsets. Some of us handled it a lot better than others. But the hardest thing I think it was for me is like, I was homeschooling my daughter. I, cause my wife, God love her. She's a hard worker too. Everybody went out and got fucking dogs and cats during this pandemic. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah. Like everybody yeah. went out they're like, Oh, we're bored. Let's go get a dog. Um, which is great because all these like ho- like homeless shelters for dogs like are empty now, but like when you're married to a veterinarian, it makes it difficult. Um, hey, hey, I I used to be married to a veterinarian uh, even before the pandemic. I know how difficult that can be. <laughs> there you go. And she's she's great. I got my point is, I was at a point where like I'm at the absolute most stressful point of psycho and fanatic because I'm trying to keep the doors open. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't like, oh, let's have a good year. This is no, yeah. how do I keep Jared Stansbury getting his check? How do I get Rob, make sure Rob Gray gets paid every month? Like, that's the stresses that I have, not what three star recruit is considering Iowa State. Okay. Yeah. Um, on top of it, you know, we had just had the layoffs at KXNO. So I'm worried that that's coming again because iHeart is, you know, they've been bankrupt. They've, you know, they're shutting down our 401ks during the pandemic. Like there's all sorts of stuff happening. And I'm like, shit, are we going to get fired again? Um, and then on top of that, I'm trying to like homeschool her. I'm trying to get her to therapy every week. I'm trying to be a good dad to the two-year-old or the one-year-old at the time. And I just, I'd had enough. Um, and I think part of it, like now that I can reflect on it, is I was so used to just being able to just sit in my cave and work for 60, 70 hours a week doing everything. And I, I just can't now, and I don't want to. And I think that's, what's hard Yeah, is like, now I'm at the point where I, I don't want to work that much. I want to be good at what I do, but more important to me is to be at that soccer game and coach. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's been really hard to, be able to transition my brain to like, that's what I want to be. I always knew I wanted to be a dad. I always knew I wanted to be a great dad. Well, now I'm living it and I don't want to miss it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For sure. I, but I, I also I like joke, my career is so important to me. So, I, yeah, I joke around a lot and say, you know, we're empty nesters. Now the boys went to, to D max drive Academy. Caitlin is in college. Taylor has moved out. Uh, you know, we have all kinds of free time, but I, I won't lie and say I don't miss coaching the boys' soccer team. And I don't miss, I, I'm sorry, I miss yeah. coaching the boys' soccer team. And I miss going to Saturday show choir and watching Caitlin sing solos. I mean, I miss that type of stuff. Uh, now, when remember- you, now, when you just show up the show choir on Saturdays, it's creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants that. No, yeah. 51-year-old man Who's just that showing guy? up at a random, random show choir show. Why does he have kind of... binoculars? <laughs> Besides, you know, there's bad. There's Iowa State basketball that's good again. I just assume watch that on Saturdays. Yeah. But that leads me into uh, one of my favorite projects that you've done is the Chris Williams podcast. Thank and you. I think because – um, you're so open on that, right? You're not celebrity radio guy, Chris Williams. You're just a guy that wants to talk about what he believes in. The two episodes that spoke most to me though, was the John Miller podcast. Yeah. Uh, because of his transformation of how he evolved 
and the one that you have with your former pastor, Scott Hibben. Yeah, that was my favorite uh, one. That those two really spoke to me because they were so eye-opening and gave up gave people an insight into you. Tim and I have said a hundred times we do this podcast for therapy, right? Yeah. I would imagine that was probably kind of the same thing for you. Yeah, no, you you're right. It it was. You nailed it. Like you're very wise with your old age, old man. Uh, <laughs> hey, there, no. there's every once in a while in a podcast that I snip something out and save it for later. Uh, the one time that Marcus Pfizer said I was cool for riding the bus on Cyride. One time Dan McCartney said we were professionals and just there you out. Go. Right now, you nailed it. All right. Uh, so here's wise. where that happened. Yeah. It was the. I, I, it was the everything so freaking polarized in our world and ross and i on the on our radio show we have so much fun with it it's hawkeye versus cyclone conservative versus liberal like we do it all but like at the core of it like i did learn a couple years into that thing is like if you say anything remotely like that you're just gonna get skewered i didn't really care but I know that we're we're here to do a sports show, right? Like we're here, and I and I respect that. I respect when people tune into that. That's what they want. But it, you know, it's funny just how we evolved because when I started doing that radio show, I was like, well, there's so much more to me than just the cyclone guy, and this show is going to give me the avenue to do that, and it has. It's weird. Um, about seventy five percent of the Hawkeye Nation hates my guts and wants me to die. Twenty five percent of them love me. And I don't get it, but they yeah. love me. And I think it's because they these are the rational ones that know that I'm That's just because there's honest. about 25% of their fan base that are normal and sane. That's why. <laughs> so then, like, but I but I did quickly realize it's like anything we anytime we touch politics, it's like it's not a good thing. Like, don't don't do it. And um I yeah, and stick, it, the, I, stick I, to sports, Chris. Stick to sports. Yeah. I didn't mean for like when I launched the the Chris Williams pod, it it was a therapeutic thing for me. And it was a way for me to touch on things that I'm really passionate about. And I don't have to put my bosses at risk at KXNO or with sponsorship problems. I don't have to alienate an Iowa State fan through Cyclone Fanatic. This is my deal, you know. And I'm being open about it. And I'm glad you said that, Chris. That means the world to me because that's my favorite thing to do. And unfortunately, it's always at the bottom of my priority list. Yeah. And one of my 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 resolution professionally in 2022 is to do more of those and make it more consistent and do it for me, you know, because I'm not making any money on that. That's not a well, – I, I can for tell me. you – those two episodes, there were plenty of times where I listened to that and was shaking my head going, yes, like that's me. I appreciate it. And then like the Pastor Hibben one, I mean, I mean, and John Miller is a dear friend. Like that guy, there was a point where I did not like him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that maybe. Maybe that's a whole other podcast about my experience back in the day with Ace and John Narciss. And I saw the other day Narciss that you said, I'm not now. talking to you for the next three hours. Yeah. I'm friending you during the next three hours. Miller is, Miller is probably one of my like 10 best friends now. And like we, 
not that he's changed politically. I don't care about that. It's just we've grown into like Miller was one of the first pre people I was ever brought up to in this business was Miller is and he Miller was a guy who I thought he was kind of cocky. I didn't really like him. Um, like legit, like the guy and I've evolved a lot since then too, but Miller, um, is completely taken a 180 to the sense that like he he's so compassionate and he's so loving yeah. of people and the, and like i look up to him now it used to be like we were like just like peers i i look up to and love that man and and that's same with my the former pastor um scott hibben he's retired now but like he is um just a guy who anytime like i've ever had rough periods like you you can you can go to you know, and I, I thought that he, I, just being honest, and and you guys know how much I love my wife. I talk about her a lot. Mm-hmm. Like she, she's my better half, and she tells me not to, on the church thing. Right. One of the biggest problems I have is, like, I hate it when people who represent a church go on TV and say hateful things, and or for sure, it's, you know, and they lock people out and she she's constantly in my ear and she tells me that that's not everybody and that's one of the things i love about pastor hibben though in that podcast is he will call yes. out people in his congregation even if it costs him offering money mm-hmm. that's, you know and that's what i respect so much about him that was one of the things that that i that i liked about it as well was uh i i, I don't have any problem showing my faith and 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 uh whether it's on my social media or on a personal basis about what God has done for me when it comes to helping me with cancer and, and, and all those other things. And I truly, truly believe that. Um, my problem is, is that I will fight to the death about what Jesus preaches when it comes to peace and love and the people that stamp their chest, that they're a Christian sometimes don't preach that. And I will fight against that every chance that I can. And it does not matter how much heat I will take. I will take it all day long because I, I just truly believe that. So that was one of the things that I really loved about that episode was, is I finally got to hear it from somebody else that was, you know, more in depth with their faith than I was. You know what I mean? Here's how I view the faith thing. So I've been more challenged with my faith in the last five years than I ever have been in my life. And but it's been good because like I've I've seen the, the great miracles like my daughter's being born. Right. And I'll never like take that for granted. But then I have the ugly side, which I've talked to you guys about, like where I I feel like some of the um, most hateful and judgmental humans in my life are the ones who claim to be the biggest Christians. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I hate that. And I absolutely reject that. But I also believe at the end of all this, because I'm, I'm very ignorant, very young, and very dumb in the whole scheme of things, right? And I truly believe that at the end of all of this, like, the struggle that I'm going through now, still to this day, like, and I'm not even close to knowing what the hell is going on in my brain, it'll be worth it, and I'll be a stronger believer because of the struggles that I went through. 
that's how I, uh, and again, I, I always reference my wife because she's the one I talk to about this, but like, I may not sit in church every Sunday, but when I'm driving around, I'm constantly like, I listen to sermons and I listen to podcasts about this stuff. And like, that's my way of growing, I guess. And that's cool. Like you can do that now. My dad couldn't do that. My dad was listening to the George Strait, like six greatest hits, like, you know, over and over, (laughs) you know, I can listen to this stuff and I can try and grow. And yeah, it's a struggle guys. Like I, uh, here's what I'll say to on the the lighten things up, but it's very real. I think any dude, our age with kids and careers and is trying to, fight the good fight. I think any of us who says like, oh yeah, I got it all figured out. Bullshit. That's oh, yeah, for sure. None of us have it figured out. No. We're all, we're all trying to get better and just be good people and do, do the best that we can for our kids. And, and in my behalf, like I, I try and do it for my family and I, and then my, my listeners and cyclone fanatic followers, like it, it's like an extended family for me. I, I truly mean that. Like I've, I've been so blessed to be able to go, the big 12 tournaments and bowl games and like and we do these like charter flights and like the amount of people that i've been able to like meet and call friends who i never would have known like it's such a it's like a pinch me like it and that's why like i wouldn't trade it in for anything would i like to win sportscaster of the year yeah I'd, it'd be an honor but would i give any of that stuff up for like the for being the like quote like the the homer like fan site guy and be able to like <laughs> meet great guys like you and hang out no because like to me like that that's what it's all about at the end of the day that's the stuff you remember i kind of feel like he just debunked the entire ethos of this this podcast shipley uh because we always like to say that we have it all figured out and the whole whole point the whole point is is that that we're here to just now I'm a disaster. Uh, I, I've got nothing figured out. I can promise I, you that. If you listen to our last podcast where we gave out dating advice to a twenty-something-year-old, I think oh, you God. will very clearly learn that we do not have things figured oh, no, out. No, I didn't. I didn't hear that. <laughs> I still one. think I was right on that whole deal. You, you were not right. Um, I'm going to hang my hat only on the fact that both of them uh, agreed with me slightly more than you. <laughs> Well, uh, self-deprecation is a good thing. Like none of us so, are. Well, yeah. Then we should win a Marconi we all suck. this thing because <laughs> God knows Tim self-deprecates me all night long. <laughs> Chris, you think you get roasted on the fanatics for not knowing movies and, and music or whatever else. You should see Tim hammer me on a daily basis. So. I, I think it's because you take such pride in there's you wear a badge of honor that you don't I, I know do. some of I, these I things. Do. I don't hide. I don't hide the fact that your your takes are terrible. <laughs> Here's my deal. Uh, I had two, three problems when it comes to that stuff, and people don't get it. One, I grew up in a house. We didn't have HBO. We didn't have MTV. We didn't do any of that stuff. Two, when I when I got out of that house. I had a full-time job as a sophomore in college while I was trying to go to, I didn't have time for it. A full-time job. Okay. Three. I married a woman who's as bad at that, like pop culture stuff as me. She don't care. (laughs) Like we're not going to sit around like, and and then four, I guess there's a fourth, like my, 
this is the one thing that people I, I don't think truly understand about guys who do what I do. Because they're like, oh, you get to watch sports and get paid for it. Well, kind of. I get paid for the three hours I'm on the air. <laughs> the only reason I can do that is because I watch sports all night. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and that, like, that's the one thing that's a drawback about what I do. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. But, man, there's sometimes I don't want to watch that fucking Iowa Long Beach game or whatever. Like, But you have to because if not, like, you're – you're doing your like even Iowa State now. Like it, you know what's crazy is like I just thought, oh, TJ's the coach. I'm gonna be locked into every game. I did not want to watch them play Jackson State on Sunday. No, I wanted to take watch it either. I don't think yeah. anyone who watched it wanted to watch them play <laughs> Jackson State. There are times there are times on Twitter where people are talking. I they're talking about some sports event that's happening, and I love sports, and everybody on Twitter's talking about it. And I'm watching an old season 14 of Survivor. Like, you think think I don't want to watch a movie right now and watch that shit 47 to 37? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm watching Survivor season 14, episode seven. That's what I'm watching right now. I've got got a group of of three other Iowa staters, uh, all graduated around the same time. And and for for years, we would go to games and, and, uh, watch games together, uh, all of that. And so now th- our game watches before every game, then we, someone kicks off the text message chain and, and we go and do all of that. And, and that Jackson state game, I followed along on my phone. I did not bother to watch one minute of it. Um, and TJ loved it. Like he, was, <laughs> he was all like eggplant emoji after the game. Like, yeah, we played defense. Yeah. Could, could, could you teach him? Cause I think it was the, I think it was the end of the Iowa game. It might have been the end of the Iowa game. He winked at someone and he still it was the angriest wink yeah, I have no, ever seen in my entire life. No, you guys crawl, <laughs> get used to it. Like, like I've never seen someone. He's got a permanent scowl, I'll tell you. Oh, that. it's it's a like you know, like right. you, you see you see like Matt Campbell's an intense guy, but every once in a while, like a smile creeps Here's out from what? underneath that veneer. They're 10 and no ranked 11th and he still thinks this team sucks like he because that's he, like he knows that they're not like right yeah. but like in his mind he has convinced himself like oh we're overperforming i've got to go harder that's that's Nothing just his mind. That. yeah that's was, his mindset it was just a juxtaposition perfectly to hit him into the top 10 because alabama lost yesterday yeah. um oh we're gonna be in the top 10 and when that baylor game comes like Bring it on. Like when, when, I finally when, uh, bought tickets. I finally bought tickets to go to a game. I bought them during that Cyber Monday game. And I swear to God, I thought I bought Baylor tickets and I didn't, but I do have Texas and TCU. So okay. I'm gonna make it good, man. Stuff. Good. I'm glad you're gonna get up there. That's good. So, so Chris, what you don't what you might not know about Shipley is he is for all his years of Iowa State fandom has never been to a game at Hilton. Tennessee. I knew that one time. One, uh, time. one time. Okay. I, I was at the Kansas game. I, I tried the to Phantom give Chris Fowl. tickets. Yes, he did try to give me tickets one night. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was I was already, to be honest, I was already uh, on the couch, and my wife was not going anywhere at that point. Yeah, no, I know. I'm just so – you know what really was sad last year is I, I stopped – not that I stopped caring about Iowa State basketball. I stopped being a college basketball fan because we were so terrible. Yeah, like, I can't. I, yeah. You know, it made it rough, yeah. 
Yeah, and I like, and I've, I've told people this before. Never for a second do I think like, oh, those guys weren't trying, or Steve Prom wasn't trying to win. They absolutely were, but it had gone sure. bad. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like it, was, it, it yeah. had gone real bad, and it it got really tough. And I'm I'm just I, I was talking to a friend of mine last week about this, and like TJ being there or not, like I'm just we're we got a special special thing right now with Matt and TJ and Coach Finn and Dresser, and it's. It's a it's a great time. Like I don't I don't I'm still like I'm more skeptical of this basketball team than pretty much anybody, which is ridiculous because I should be the like biggest homer. But they, they remind me a lot of Tim Floyd's team that had Willoughby yeah. when Willoughby first came in and Bankhead. Dude, Brockington's guys. so good. Like when, people, when nobody gave yeah. them a chance and they just somehow gelled together and just kept winning games. They remind me so much of that team. I mean, I mean, there's you got a guy like like Gabe Kalsher that I'll I mean, I'll tell you as as a Minnesotan watching him play, I was underwhelmed by his play. And it was because he wasn't in the right role in the right situation. And even on the nights where he's not stuffing the the, the stat sheet. Uh, so many of those offensive rebounds that you see Brockington come down with, it's because Gabe was the guy who tipped it to keep it alive in the first place. Um, you see all of these guys just giving way more of themselves than I think uh, we've yeah. seen in a long time. And I and I love that Sean Bankhead, Dedrick Willoughby uh, comparison, right? Like guys that came in that nobody knew what to expect, so they didn't expect a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there, the shocking thing about it all, as you guys have alluded to, is just how well they bought into their roles so mm-hmm. quickly. I mean, I was out there in Brooklyn, and the coolest thing I saw in Brooklyn was not the two wins. The thing that gave me hope about this team was that on night one, Brockington had 30 against Xavier. Mm-hmm. Night two, it was Kelsher who had mm-hmm. 30. And those guys are like hugging each other. Yeah. Yeah. And and then and then not right jealous. And then right after that, like like a right around those games, then you had a huge game from Grill and a huge game from Koontz. And so like literally, it's like anybody is a threat to go off and have a game. Condit was the game changer against um I think it was Xavier. Like they don't win that game. Yeah. He looks like a completely different player. Condit, in my opinion, had been around that. Uh, a bit around prone, like I think they had blocked each other out. Like that's just my, yeah. yeah. I think it, they like George needed to hear from a different coach, and that happens in the sport. Like it doesn't so mean too. Steve sucks. That happens yeah. where a guy well, needs to just hear a different voice. We've and we've we've had his dad on the pod, and his, his dad's his dad's great. His dad's positive, and I I think his dad is honest and realistic about that. But I had told his dad, and I told a lot of other people after that Iowa win, there wasn't a single player on that on that Iowa State team I was more happy for than no, I was for too. George Condit. Yeah, no, no doubt about. I've it. said a hundred times. I want to I want to die and come back as George Condit Senior. That dude's <laughs> living the life. You're the you're not kidding there. My <laughs> goal is this, every night this year, and I hope he's I hope he's listening. My my goal is to get George Senior in my in my man cave sometime this year before a game. Have a couple of, <laughs> there you have go. A couple of Cody Rhodes with him or Revelton. We'll shout out to your boys too. Have a couple got, with that guy. He's the man. I got two questions I got to ask you. One of them is I'm going to play this clip from Dan McCarney when he was on our podcast. Okay. Um, the transfer portal is a big freaking deal right now. We asked him about the transfer portal 
uh, back in April when he was on. I'll play this for you, and then you, I want to. I want to. I want to get your thoughts here. Okay. We'll see if this works. How would you handle this type of environment with the transfer rules that they're having now, and the and, and the, the social media and things like that? You know, I, I read a quote somewhere that that uh, somebody said, a coach said, you know, if you can't if you can't trust a kid on third down, then you probably can't trust him on social media. So, in other words. You know, they let these kids have their social media. If you can't trust them on that, you can't trust them on third down. But what are your feelings on that? Did, could you coach now? Would you want to coach now in this environment with, with those rules? Maybe the transfer rules would work out for you. You you have such a great culture and, and so on that, that I think the culture sometimes sells that. You know, kids go somewhere sometimes, realize it's not what they thought it was, and sees their buddy that maybe that they played with high school find out that this this culture over here is so much better and so much healthier. Maybe that's that plays into to, to a place like Iowa State. That part, the transfer rule, I, 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 I'm glad I'm not a part of that, to be honest with you guys. Um, the loyalty thing to me works both ways. Coaches showing it to student-athletes and student-athletes showing it to coaches. And uh, you had to, I always felt the years that I was in all those decades, you have to have some type of uh, there, there's got to be some kind of ramifications for you not doing what you're supposed to. You're disrespectful to a doctor. You're late for tra- for treatments. You don't go to class. You miss tutors. Um, you're late for a workout at six o'clock in the morning. Whatever it is, there's got to be some ramifications and some penalties instead of just coddling and putting your arm around them and, and, and kissing the rear end all the time. You got to learn. Um, how about this unique concept? You get what you earn and you do it our way and do it the right way and fall in line and be part of this thing and be special. And I heard this so many years ago, but I always believed it. I, I, I just thought it was a really cool saying and it's short and sweet, but it's forget yourself or others so that others will never forget you. And if you get that amongst a team, when you really do put the team first, all that shit sounds good. But sometimes it's really hard to do, and it's hard to act on. It's hard to do that each day. If you get a team doing that, forget yourself or others so that others will never forget you, boy, it can be something real special. I think it's harder to do that. I think it's harder to live that now. Um, Chris, to be honest with you, nowadays, and, and then as soon as things get tough, what do you do? Bail out, you run, you pull, you transfer, you go. Here we go. Well, we don't hear guys, and there's been some great stories with the transfers. Great stories. What we don't hear about are the ones that transferred and never surfaced again. You don't think there's a truckloads of those? Oh, hell yes, there is. It never surfaced again. And we're not success stories after after transferring to another school or maybe two more schools. And trying to just keep bounce around, bounce around, change it, go here, go there, go there. Instead of just saying, oh, you're next. Toughen up. Show some grit. Show some loyalty. Compete your butts off. And go do something that somebody doesn't think you can do. You're a three because you haven't played as good as the top two guys. You're not a starter because you're not as good as number one. Don't make me look silly. Make me wrong. Make your position coach look wrong. Make your coordinator look wrong with the decisions we're making. And and that that part of it makes it tough, I think, with the transfer rule. I mean, I I get chills listening to him. Also, (laughs) the whole – I want to also go out whole, and like walk put on. Put yourself right before yeah. others so others will put those in front of you. I, I, I really think it needs to be a t shirt. Like it's it's so good. Yeah, I, I just listened to that. Coach is such a, a like he's an interviewer's dream. Uh, oh. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I don't disagree with anything he said. I, I don't know if you guys probably didn't hear it today because there was so much going on in Central Iowa. Ross and I were talking about this, not the interview, but like the same topic, which is crazy. And I'm, I'm really worried. I'm not worried about like college athletics are always going to be here in some way, shape, or form. But mm-hmm. like if you look at Iowa State's guys who are in the portal and everybody freaked out this week, that was like the flavor of the week. The overwhelming majority of those guys, it was like they knew they were going to be, like Coach said, two or three next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even even Aishim, and I have no idea what his situation is. If you look at the snap counts from game one to game 12, they had dropped off significantly for him in order sure. of Bo Freiler, yeah. right? Um, and I just like, I don't, I don't know if it's right or wrong. You know what I think is wrong is what's going on with coaching these days. Like to me, like I'll point a finger at the coaches and the administrators before I will the, the players. A lot of these players don't have great mentors and stuff. And like I'm I'm I point my finger at the adults first. For sure. But um I agree with Mac though. Like the I will never be the guy that's like <laughs> Ross and I fight about this a lot. Not fight, but we talk about it on our show. Ross is very much pay the player, pay the players, pay the players. I'm not. I I see value in a college education because I, I have it. And I know so many people from my hometown who don't. And um and they kind of get left behind. And I hate that. Um, and they didn't have a great opportunity like I did where my parents just pushed me to go to college, right? Like there, I, I see a lot of great value in that. And I think what Mac's saying there is it's kind of like parenting is what he's talking yes. about. Like if I just give in to my two-year-old every time she throws a fit, well, what she's training me, mm-hmm. you know, like she's training me. Well, she has most of the time. Let's be honest. But <laughs> what, what, what Mac's talking about, the, book, by the way, what, what Mac's talking Kate. about, like to put in layman's terms is if you're late for your workouts all the time, I'll tell you what, like there's a, I won't name his name, but there's a basketball player who got let go in the summer and everybody mm-hmm. freaked out. And nobody's talking about him now. Yep. And it's right. that guy wasn't doing the right thing. Yep. And if you just coddle that young man and let him do whatever, what is he learning from that? And he's not going to be able to make it in the NBA, no matter how talented he is. Cause he doesn't know. He has no structure. He has no way to know what's what right and wrong and how to right you guys know what i mean so oh for sure mac mac is old school but he's wise beyond his years with when it comes to this stuff i i hate the road we're going down again i fully place the blame on the adults first but um you know the the players live in the world that is given to them and right now like for iowa state you have like 10 guys in the portal Aishim's probably the only one who would have started next year. Um, but other than that, it's just guys who would have been depth. And yeah. what? And now they're rolling the dice to see what happens. And I hope it's what's best for them. Because if not, they could have had a spot at Iowa State where the coaches knew and care about them, right? And they had already put sweat equity in them, and they had already tried to evolve them. And this is the case all over the country, not just at Iowa State. But there's there's a lot of guys like coach said who don't make it. I I hate it. Like I 
I don't feel like we're at Armageddon right now, but this is as down as I've ever felt about like the whole ecosystem yeah. of college athletics. No doubt about that. It's definitely on shaky ground. Definitely yeah. on shaky I think ground. they'll figure it out. There's enough smart people in the room, but those smart people tend to be very good. Are greedy. there? Are there though? That's the problem. Well, so, well, here's, here's what I'll say is I think, uh, you know, my dad's generation, you grew up, you were a company man. Uh, a lot of those guys worked for the same company for 30, 40 years. There were these things called pensions. There were these things uh, where uh, people showed loyalty to a company because companies showed loyalty to them. That's not a thing anymore. I don't begrudge anyone who has taken the time to acknowledge this situation I'm in no longer fits me for X, Y, Z reasons. Um. Even if even if I don't agree, like I had said earlier during the whole coaching circus that was going on around, you know, Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly and and all of that that was was going on. But when all that was going on, Chris, you might have seen me on Twitter. I said, I don't care why you take a job. Not not my place to judge. I don't care, man. At the end of the day. You have to live with the with the consequences of your actions. And if you can sit and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I made the best decision for me and my family. Great, man. I'm going to let you go. Like, I, I, I get that. I, I think there's there's a certain amount of that where just loyalty in general has meant something different because loyalty in and of itself, loyalty can be virtuous, but in and of itself isn't virtuous. Right. I mean, absolutely. Being being loyal to the wrong people has hurt a lot of people. So I, I think yeah, you have the balance. I, I agree. And that's where it's just like, what, what does loyalty mean to every person? It's different. <laughs> yeah. You know, loyalty to some Iowa State fans is like, well, you have to be here for your entire career. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could make an argument that Matt Campbell's been very loyal to Iowa State thus far. Yes, he has. <laughs> right. You know, like, so it's, it's, it's tough. We're, we are in, uh, we were talking about, fatherhood earlier about like no playbook that's where we're at here right here if i anything i say like could totally be um proven wrong tomorrow and like i don't know i just all i'm saying is like i have a feeling and it doesn't feel good right now because i've traveled with women's basketball and i love those players and i know that they have scholarships greatly because of the money that football brings in yeah. Right. And yeah. I want that to continue. And let's just say this if there's no, if football is private in five years and they don't have to abide by title, and I don't, I'm just spitballing here, guys. But like, I want to keep that. I want to have a soccer team. Yeah. I want to have a diving team. Like, that's important to me. That, that stuff. And Psycho and Fanatic makes no money off of gymnastics. I can promise you that. But I was in I, college when we killed baseball. I absolutely understand to see a sport that meant yeah. a lot to a lot of people. There's no there's way. no sport at Iowa State that means more to me than women's basketball. If I if I could feasibly do it, I'd I would be our beat writer for women's basketball and be at every game and cover every game and cover. I, I just I love I love everything about what it represents at Iowa State. If there's one coach in the history of Iowa State athletics that deserves a tr- uh, a statue more than Bill Fennelly, I I can't imagine who that could possibly be. 
He needs to be right next to Johnny Orr. Yeah. Absolutely. You got you got Harold Nichols, you got Johnny Orr, you got Bill Fennelly, and I'll even put Couldn't. Bill I'll even put Bill Fennelly ahead of Johnny Orr. Honestly, I got Harry Nichols and and uh, and Bill Fennelly. I think what what Johnny Orr did meant a lot at the time, but as, as in terms of sustained success, you look at Bill's down years; they're nowhere near as as down as Johnny's down years, or nearly as frequent as Johnny's were. Yeah, and I mean, just Bill built it, you know, yeah. and so yeah. Johnny did too. Like Johnny deserves a lot of credit, but like. Bill had Bill, five, Bill had five players when he started. Bill, five total players. The most touching thing about Bill is when you walk into his office, the first thing you see is a framed photo with the program and ticket stub from his first game. There was like 200 people there. Yeah. <laughs> That's just what I was going to say is you look at the passion for that women's basketball team now. Yep. I mean, you look at the attendance that they have and the amount of people that want to go there. That is a testament to that program. I probably went to more women's basketball games when I was in college than men's, but that's because I was, I was in theater. And so I usually, I usually had, Dude, you were a theater guy too. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Makes yeah. two of Nerds. us. Nerd. Oh yeah. So, I was, what are you? You wrote, you wrote Cyride, Chris, so you can just settle down. Um, yeah, no, I, and so I usually had, uh, Shut up. <laughs> I, I usually had a, a performance during a lot of the men's game. Um, I, I, uh, one of my favorite, uh, memories from, from theater. So I took a couple acting classes, uh, Breon Ainsley, remember all big 12, uh, Breon Ainsley, he took a couple classes with me and he came up to me after, after a class, he goes, Hey man, uh, I, I saw you in, in that play on, on Friday. That was tight. And I was like, thanks, Bree. You just got done playing in a big 12 football game. Uh, but thank you. That, that's also nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny you brought that up. I, I, uh, I had theater class with um, DeAndre Jackson. You remember DeAndre? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, me and Dre had uh, acting together. He's the man. Good times. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Good My times. last question is kind of a fun question, Chris. I want to ask you, out of anybody in Cyclone lore, who would be the one guy you would just give anything to get an interview with? Oh, I'll give you li- mine. like alive or alive or dead. I, whichever is, whichever is, it might be I mean, easier to dead, interview someone alive. Really, if it's dead, that would certainly be an exclusive. Well, Jack tries yeah. to be mine. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, because, like, Hey, we talked to George. That was pretty close. <laughs> yeah. The, oh man. That's a really good question. Let's go with a live. Okay. That's okay. possible. That's feasible. Yeah. Cause I was thinking Pete Taylor would be mine. Like I would give anything to sit and talk man, to he, that brings up some, I can remember my freshman year. I used to work at Yonkers and Ames at the North grand mall. And when I had to work on Saturdays, just listening to him do football games. And you could tell that guy just loved Iowa state. Cause when a bad play would happen or whatever, just the absolute crushing sound in his voice. Oh yeah. Just, I can still remember that. Honestly, like, okay, I have two answers here. The first for me, uh, and I've talked a little bit about this, but I'm working on a book. It's not going to come out for a couple of years, so don't get your hopes up yet. <laughs> but like the integral part of this book is Jamie Pollard. Mm-hmm. Like he is, but I can get an interview with him and I will. Mm-hmm. 
But my point being, like, if like you're like saying, hey, you get one more interview, he's yeah. my guy because the guy has been the architect behind all of this. Um, the other one, I, you know, I think it'd be, and it might be unpopular to say right now, but is Royce White. Royce and I had a really weird relationship. Like we had a really good one when he played at Iowa state. He trusted me. I trusted him. We, we had great communication and we had a falling out a little bit and, and I don't even understand why. In fact, I give Royce a lot of credit with me speaking out about my anxiety and stuff. Like I didn't even think about talking about it until I saw this kid at Iowa state doing it. Cause I had struggled with it since I was a kid. Um, but like Royce kind of went off the, you know, went, I, I don't want to say the deep end cause for him, it it's not. And I respect right. that. And I, I have compassion for him, whatever he's dealing with, but like, I'd love to sit down face to face and talk to Royce for a couple hours. And just see where he's at. Like I, I'm, I'm watching him. I, it's really incredible to me to see like what he was at Iowa State to Iowa State fans, where he is now, and like how how this happened. He's a very thoughtful young man. Like he's, he said a lot of things that are vastly unpopular and stuff I don't agree with. Um, but I also think that he he feels a lot of feels, right? Like why like I want to peel off layers to that onion that isn't over like a telephone that is face to face. I think he's fascinating. Here's the thing, guys. If even if you don't agree with somebody, you can still learn from them. Yeah. And oh, well, yeah, sure. I, I mean I so you know I that, was that'd be my guy, Royce, because I, I want to find out more about him. He's so complex. I want more. That's an interesting question. Uh, yeah. interesting answer. Like for real. I so you know, I I remember Royce from his from his high school days up here at De La Salle. Um I I think my biggest challenge with trying to interview him is is frankly trusting that he's being honest with me. I understand. That's why I want Tim, that's why I said I want to do it face to face. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's and I, I think it would take someone like you who has known him uh, on some. That's why I want to do it face to face because I, I did one with him. He he called me out on Twitter. Complete bullshit. Like mm-hmm. it was like not even he completely took something I said out of context and tried to make me look like a villain. And. And I don't know why. He did that, but he did. And I said, Hey, let's talk about it. And he came on the radio. Like, and he, yeah. he was a man about it. It wasn't face to face. And it was the same bullshit that you get from Royce all the time. Like, well, you know, like nobody understands, you know, yeah. you guys know how it is. And I, he, there's so much more to him. And I, I, I'll say this, like, I, I can say that cause I don't fully understand him. And that's why I want to interview him. Like from a journalistic standpoint, I want more of Royce white from like a, Who's your hero? I grew up an Iowa fan. I've been a, open about this, just like I have about my relationship with TJ. Jim Zobel was my idol. I got to Iowa State, and I heard about this Pete Taylor guy. And goddamn, he was. <laughs> yeah. That's the guy I want to like sit and talk to. You know, my two would probably be uh, 
two coaches. The first one would be Larry Eustachie. Yep. Yeah, that's an interesting one. He would he would have I I I just don't feel like his side of the story has been fully told. Uh, no, I, I agree completely, Chris. That's a really good point. Because I think a very good point. As a coach, he was probably pretty brilliant, probably one of the more talented coaches we had. I just think that some of his personal demons really tore him up. I and I'd love to see where he is now with those. Yeah. If he's going to be open about be, it and comfortable, yeah, absolutely. And the other one for me would be Jim Walden. Yep. Because hmm. I think that he is. I I went to I went there when he was had started taking over, and I, my last year was there when McCarney came on, and I just find his. Well, part of me wants to ask him why he didn't play Troy Davis his freshman year. That was <laughs> he had a rule against like, playing freshman. If your best player is a seventeen-year-old, you should play that guy. But Jim Walden is. is I've always kind of liked yeah. Jim Walden, uh, and that would be probably one of mine as well. First time I, would I ever take thought Troy Davis too, though I would take Troy Davis too, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah, that, then you're opening up a whole can of worms. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I first time I ever thought in my career that I had se- semi made it is I got a random phone call from Jim Walden. He was wanting me to be a guest on two guys named Jim. <laughs> the problem was I wanted to talk to Zobble and not him, but I quickly <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh, and that yeah, that's a whole other deal with me growing up an Iowa fan. But I always tell people you got to see the dark side before you can see the light. Well, Tim, do you got anything else? I think we've used enough of Chris's time tonight. No, I, I I think I think we've covered just about everything. I still think Chris, maybe we'd love to have you back on sometime. I, I'd I think love we- to, guys. This has been a lot of fun and. I appreciate it. And I'm not used to being interviewed, so it's kind of weird, but like in the same token, like you guys are, I appreciate, I, I appreciate more two things. One is like how positive Chris that you've always been. Uh, there's just a lot of negativity out there and you've always been a bright shining light. And I appreciate that. Uh, and two, it's just like-minded guys who, and you're doing this not for money, but for, just a passion and fun. And like, like to me, like that's just so cool. And there's stuff I do like that, like the CW pod and like the always race day website. I'm not making any money. I've lost money on that deal, but I'm doing it because I appreciate and love the sport of motorsports so much. And I want Connor to have a career in that because mm-hmm. that's what he wants. And like, that's what you guys are doing here. You're uh, you're just, Sharing I try not, your passions with the world. That's really awesome. I try not to encourage Connor too much, though. <laughs> no, because <laughs> Connor, like, you give an inch and he takes a mile. That's Connor. I've learned this. There's is, no doubt. Nothing wrong with that by a young kid. I, yeah. I, I hopped on a Zoom with him the other night, and I, I just like to make sure he's kept in line. So, for sure. <laughs> I try. Trust me. I try. <laughs> in fact, I have a missed call from him while we've been on this. Oh, oh good. Yeah. You you can let him you can let him know what you're what you were doing and okay. yeah absolutely I'll 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 tell him to settle down. Well, as I've said before, Chris, I uh, I I personally uh, admire all the work that you've done. Uh, but one of the things that I I think is probably the most important is some of your charity endeavors. Uh, you 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 do a lot for cancer, 
research. Uh, and I know that that's touched you personally as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as a cancer survivor, I guess the only thing I can say to you is thank you for that. Well, thank you, Chris. Cause it's people like you who inspired to, to do my, listen, like at the end of the day, we're just talking about sports. Like I, what I do is not important. <laughs> right. You know, and I, I, I'm one of the few guys in this. I don't, I just feel lucky to even be doing this for a living. There's so many of my like people I went to journalism school with who, you know, they did even last six months out of this. And like, I, I have this, it, this incredible like army of followers and I don't know why they, but they're there. And it's just like, every time I, something touches me and I put it out there, boom, there's $10,000 raised. It's incredible. I mean, it, it really like, it's, it's not believable to me. And I look at it just like if at the end of like all this, whenever this ends, this could be tomorrow, but like, you know, if we can help some people that we, you should be doing, I feel like everybody right. in our position should be doing it. Like, I don't Absolutely. think it's like a, I think we should be like, that's an that's, obligation to the business. Yes. And like what we do is we should be doing good with our voice. I, I can only speak on a, on a small basis, but even just two weeks ago, I'll tell this story. My wife, we had, we bought a new Christmas tree for, for our house. <clears throat> we had to use one. My wife works at a school in Des Moines that is a hundred percent free and reduced. It's, it's a hundred percent a poverty school. She took that Christmas, the old Christmas tree and took it to a family that has a mother and a father that has. Chris, I saw kids. this on Twitter. You were you They've tweeted never in their yeah. life had a Christmas tree in their wow. life. That's awesome. And and to think that, like I that I can't even fathom that, right? And she came home and she was like, "This little girl just kept crying because she was so excited that when her mom came home, her mom would see this Christmas tree because they had never had one before." And I tweeted that out. And sometimes my wife doesn't understand like why I'm on Twitter so much. This is why I tweeted that out. And within five minutes, I had three people reach out to me and say, do you have any other families that need a Christmas tree? We have one. The, um, so and, I, and to, I, I, it's I, just very hard to concept. Yeah. Like I, I remember sitting there that night and telling my Maybe. wife, like, you, I'm almost obsessed now. I want to help every kid in that apartment complex. I get it. And when you see it firsthand, it changes things. So, like, we started doing this deal with St. Baldrick's, which raises money for children's cancer research because my, my neighbor, Ava, who died at the age of 11, uh, we buried her on the day Iowa State played at Akron. I remember everything based off of Iowa State football. It's awful. But I specific, I'll never forget that day. It was one of the worst days of my life. And... um. We, it's like when Fanatic did this deal, a fundraiser, and we basically, I mean, we paid off her bills Yeah, for her family who like mom wasn't working and dad's trying to work. But Chris, as you know, like when, when that C word hits, it's like the anxiety that hits and the, like, I think I have anxiety. Shit. If I had like the C word in my family, like I wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff, you know? And there's so much power when there's like, there's a ton of good people who want to do good. There's yeah. so much power and you can do anything with it. And we just need to keep pressing it. And I don't care. Like I said, like 
at the end of the day, like that's, it was meeting Ava and she's been such a blessing on me and in our family throughout this whole deal. And like, I mean, just her dad, like I said, tonight I was out with a guy drinking a beer before the, the Rachel or whatever you want to call it <laughs> comes in and that, that's him. He's one of my best friends. And like, it's, um, there's so many people out there in need who are too proud to ask for it. And we got to find those people and help them out. Like that's, I don't care about the rest of it. Like, I mean, Iowa state going in seven and five. It's like, you know, we're bitching about going seven and five in football, but like, man, there's a lot worse things. Chris, nobody can say it more than you, man. I mean, you're a, you're a survivor. You're an inspiration. Well, I, I don't know about that. I, I do know two days ago, I was close to delete my entire Twitter account because a couple <laughs> guys had really hammered me pretty bad and I was feeling <laughs> in a pretty low place. And then after about five minutes, of that, I was like, you know what? Fuck those guys. <laughs> uh, Amen. There's too many good people out there to, to let Absolutely. them. Hey, so, I, I say that all the time. I hate Twitter. I hate being on it. I, I don't get on my personal Facebook anymore. I only get on my professional one, but Without it, we would like like during my time at Cyclone Fanatic. I haven't added that up lately. Last time I did, we were over a quarter of a million of money we've raised for local charities. Right. Without social media, that two hundred fifty thousand would be like twenty. Yeah. yeah. So let's yeah. focus on that. Yeah, Chris, had, had those two guys not got you spun up, you wouldn't have donated to the uh, the better units. You know, right. drink live stream. That was the way. That was the way for me to get back at them. I donated to their to, to Tim's charity and then put their there. Name you go. On. So amen. Yeah, amen. Kill brothers. some kind. Kill some darkness with some kindness. That's what I'm doing. So yeah, absolutely. Uh well, shoot, Chris. Thank you so much for for killing time with us, um, listener. We want to thank you. Uh, I say, listen. <laughs> I know. Hi, Bill. We see you. Uh, <laughs> I know. No, I, I told my nephew I'd, I'd give him a shout out as well. He's a junior is in he, Iowa State. It, he's the guy I met at Cycle and Alley the other night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was so confused, Tim, because he said <laughs> my uncle Tim was going to reach out to you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I knew what Chris had reached out to me <laughs> and I didn't associate you with it. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I appreciate no. that. Don't ever associate. Tim. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Tim had reached out to me, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Chris had re and, and nice young man. He was not very kind to Jordan Bohannon, though. Just <laughs> kept an eye on him he, uh, pretty sure he dropped a couple f-bombs oh, you know. yeah no uh that's fantastic um no he he uh i i know he he recently discovered the podcast um he seems like a nice kid uh he he's he's a great kid i'm i'm almost ashamed that that he listens to us but uh uh so yeah, no, absolutely. I, I I'll hear from my sister here sooner or later. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but we want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, please go visit our sponsor, Revelton Distillery in Osceola, Iowa. Um, Chris, any news that you've heard from Rob and that team? Uh, I think they're having a big Christmas party. See, I should have this up, but you know, I'm not very professional. <laughs> I'll say this. Coach McCarney said. I'll say this. I'll I'll plug your sponsor for you. I love those guys. I um 
they're like cream bourbon cream or whatever it is is phenomenal yeah, like i i've had we've had a couple iowa drinks things with them and they do a really good job it's on my list in 2022 to get down there they i i love all these i we have so many when you factor in those guys um the uh the one incoming iowa distilling Iowa distillery yep yep and then cody road uh, M- mississippi river over in eastern iowa and then steeple ridge and then templeton right like we're god we're we're, we we're are lucky. so blessed. We're yeah. we are very lucky. If you like good whiskey, I mean we're I mean we're number two. There's Kentucky and there's us. Revelton's having a Christmas party December 18th from 12 to 10 with some live music from six to nine. So awesome. It should be a good time. And my uh there my nephew actually convinced the high V and Makoka to, to start carrying them. So he sent me a picture the other day of shelves full of Revelton honey whiskey and their honey vodka. So he was super stoked because, <laughs> you know, it's illegal for me to ship that. <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah. Not well, if they don't catch you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I have first. only ever shipped yeast samples. Um, so uh, please go and check out Revelton. Uh, go see what they have going on. You can find us on the web on, on the tailgate society.com. Find Chris and I on Twitter at strength underscore old Chris Williams. Any other things that you would like to plug? No, I just want to thank you guys for having me on. I, it's been a lot of fun and I uh, just appreciate your positivity and keeping it real. Just keeping it real. I hate phonies. You guys keep it real. That's my thing. <laughs> thank you guys. Excellent. Uh, well, you heard it there. The least phony podcast <laughs> on the airwaves. Well, about the least? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. You're not no, phony. We're taking I, all the liberties we can. I, I think that's what I'm doing. Um, I'm going to cut that uh, any way I can in the editing room. So, uh, Chris Shipley, any last thoughts? Everybody have a Merry Christmas. Chris, have a Merry Christmas. You too, guys. Tim, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And listeners, we will go Cyclones. We will see you guys next time. I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours, terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest screen, buddy, murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in to that original sin.